1: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 24 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host, Faram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me is Jared Kimber, who you can find.
0: Every- Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. price picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars just visit prizepickscom slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepickscom slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars price picks daily fantasy sports made easy
1: our topic for today is muhammad shami in fact i've Titled this podcast, Strike Like Shami. And uh, both Jared and I were quite content on that. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about India's right arm seamer who has gone from India's bench to nine wickets in two games, at least at the time when this show was recorded. And he's striking once every 11 balls in this World Cup. He moves the ball both ways at a decent pace with great accuracy. I'd even go on to say that he is probably one of the best ever bowlers at targeting the stumps specifically. I think that's what makes Shami special. And he's basically made himself undroppable, hasn't he, Jared?
2: Uh, He would certainly hope so. It's interesting Mm. because, you know, we're looking at the greatest... Uh, World Cup bowlers of all time and he's probably the only one on the list that has been dropped twice during a World Cup. Right? So, yeah, or oh, oh, started two World Cups on the bench as well. Took a lot of wickets in one and mm-hmm. went back to the bench. Uh, so, yeah, I would like to say he's undroppable, Bayram, but uh, I think, I don't mm-hmm. want to jinx the man. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up uh, the previous World Cups because
1: if we look at 2019, right, he started on the bench, then he took 14 wickets in four games, including a hat-trick. And back then, he was striking once every 15 balls. So somewhat similar to right now. That's how much of a freak he was with the ball. But then, you know, he got dropped by India in their final group game versus England. And then also didn't feature in the semi-final. Bouvi played ahead of him. And I guess economy might have been the reason. But that was criminal by India, as for me. <laughs> Do
2: you know what? I thought that <laughs> when I went back through his record, what I found was... He took nine wickets in two games against Afghanistan and West Indies, who were obviously both struggling in that tournament. Mm -hmm. He took a five-wicket haul against England, but went for tons of runs. And then his last Mm -hmm. game, I I think this is right. uh, His last game, he uh, took one wicket and went for heaps of runs again. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of runs here. This doesn't make sense. And when I had a look, he was going at 10 runs and over in the death. So I think there's a couple of things to, to be said here. The first one I would say is that India were hell bent on defensive bowlers at that point, and I've said they were way over reliant on them. Much more happy with their current bowling attack than I have been in the last mm. three or four events that they've gone to. But but also, I think that if your bowlers going at ten o- runs and over at the death and you're about to go into a semi final, yes, he might take wickets, but at what cost? Um, you know, is it is it yeah. worth that? And and I think now the way we think about one day cricket, you'd say yes. I'm not sure if we thought that way in 2019, really. Uh, England was maybe one of the few teams that really thought about it that way. But either way, I, I think that what's in- remarkable about that is that he started on the bench, did so well, and they just threw him back to the bench anyway. I think a lot of teams would have just gone with the guy, taking all the wickets. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge boovy guy, boovy till I die. But um, even I was looking <laughs> at it going, Oh, geez, I don't know. But the 10 runs and over at the death might have been the thing that swayed it. Or 9.56, I think it was, if we want to be accurate. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned in your work, of course, that Shami's performance in the 2015 World Cup, you know, it deserves more airtime. Hmm. And uh, he was India's best bowler in that tournament, but not by a lot only about a fraction better than Umesh Yadav. And he was a long way away from Mitch Stark, who was literally like obliterating batting lineups in that World Cup. And Australia even won. He was at his devastating best. I mean, that was peak Stark. But do you think Shami has been undervalued by Indian cricket? Because 2019, 14 wickets in four games. Right now, he's got nine and two. And then even in 2015, he was their best bowler. So I don't think he's valued as much by uh, the BCCI or whoever runs Indian cricket.
2: Yeah, It's it's a fair question. I, I think that if you go back, and, and I've done this all the way through to essentially 2013 when they last won an ICC trophy. If you go back all the way through, you'll see a very familiar pattern of they wanted defensive bowlers. They wanted bowlers who didn't go for a lot of runs, who they uh, could control the situation. And they thought that was the best way of winning, you know, limited overs tournaments in T20 and, and in, in one-day tournaments. And Shammy isn't that, right? He's, if you he, you know, most of the data that you saw in, in in the piece, you'll see that his economy is quite high, like compared to other players. And, mm. you know, he wasn't, he's not a frugal bowler. He's more expensive than Mitchell Stark. So I think he's about 0.3 runs and over more expensive than Mitchell Stark. None of us think of Mitchell Stark mm-hmm. as an economical bowler, right? And so we don't. I think with that in mind, it was just wrong person at wrong time. I think if Mohammed Shami is playing in Australia, when there is like, Wow, we'll go with the wickets. Or if he was playing for England, they would have completely backed him to take as many wickets as possible. But I think in that conservative mind frame of Indian cricket, they really believed in the bowlers who don't go for many runs. And if you look at the, the history of their um, white ball cricket, they've really always gone for more economical bowlers. It's not that their bowls don't take wickets. They took a ton of wickets in 83. I think they took a ton of wickets in 2003 as well, but they're not Mm -hmm. Pakistan or Australia, right? They're not going in or South Africa. They're not going in trying to rip your stumps down. Um, And I I think that Shami fits in that culture. You know, you put Shami in uh, Pakistan over the last couple of years, um, automatic selection. It doesn't matter if he's going at six Mm -hmm. and over. There's no way they're dropping him.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it's particularly because of his uh, tight lines and also the fact that he can move the ball both ways. And he's still quite quick. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not the fittest bloke around if you look at like uh, bodies of athletes and that sort of thing, but he does the business. And I I mean, don't you think, Jared, that Shami just doesn't have the same PR as say Jaspreet Bumrah? I mean, he averages less than 25 in ODI cricket. He's got what, 180 mm-hmm. ODI wickets at this point when this show was recorded. And, uh, you know, he's only behind Trent Bolt and Mitchell Stark in World Cup cricket when it comes to bowlers or pace bowlers who are on display in this particular edition. He's not talked up like that.
2: No, I think the difference is that Bumrah is better, <laughs> right? So B- Bumrah's sure. a strike bowler and a defensive bowler in one. So probably mm-hmm. since McGrath, have we had, is there anyone else? Ghana back in the day? N- Nasim. I wouldn't have seen, but Nassim's over page, a small, small bit. Up period. Like if Nassim yeah. did what he's doing. 14 odd years. But but you know, if you look at Boomrah's in that, in that um ability that over a long period of time didn't go for runs and takes wickets, you know, he probably leans more on the defensive bowling side than maybe um than McGrath does. And I'd have to go back and look at Garner's records compared to other players of his era. But uh Boomer's in that level, and Shammy's not, right? Shammy's more in mm. that, you know. He's just behind Stark and uh, Bolt over their careers. And Bolt doesn't get that much hype either. And Bolt doesn't have Boomer in his side, right? So there is, I think, an element of that has taken part. Also, I had this ridiculous conversation with an Indian fan recently where he was like, I don't know why Jared keeps hyping up um, to Deja and Hardik, like... Uh, you know, <laughs> Judasia hasn't made as many runs and doesn't always take a lot of wickets for Monday cricket. And uh, Hardik isn't always good against a short ball um, and, and whatever. And I'm like, any other team in the world would take them and put them down as one and two in their side at the moment.
1: In a hard, in a hard feet. Feet.
2: That's how quickly. Right? And, you know, it in Indian cricket, if you are not an all-round cricketer, if you're not Coley or, Sh- or or Rohit, and even the, they've got flack at times, you know, in, in, in certain yeah. bits. But if you're not Bumrah, right, or you're not Ashwin in in one day, even Ashwin in Test Cricket, there are lots of people who are like, you shouldn't play away from home. They're looking for mm. this level of perfection that the only, you know, as someone who grew up in Australia, I remember this, right? I remember when Marcus North came to play for Australia. And I was writing all these articles going, this guy, blah, 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 not good enough. a Marcus North over the next ten years would have been one of the best batters in the team. Right. But when he came into the mm-hmm. team, the team was so strong that Marcus North looked really terrible compared to everyone else, right? And he wasn't. Yeah. He made runs and he had some some bowling talent, some very tiny well, when he's playing against Pakistan, he had some bowling talent. Um Yeah, six foot lords, he's on the honors board. He is. He is. <laughs> and so, you know, you 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 come then. When you, when you start doing that, you actually, you discount what these players actually do well. And I think because Shami has been a little bit more expensive, because Siraj came in as well the last couple of years, uh, 2015, yeah. let's go back to 2015. He was a um, fantastic bowler, but there were, f- uh, you said him and Umesh had the same figures. Mohit Sharma bowled really well in that tournament and Ashwin bowled really well in that tournament. So he's part of a four-man attack that did brilliantly. Uh, 2019, Bufi is a really top-level one-day player, right? Like, I'm not sure we ever saw the best of him in any World Cups, perhaps, but peak Boovie was an incredible limited-overs cricketer, a 50-over and 20-over cricketer. Um, brilliant bowler and the way he went about it. So I think there have been those sorts of things that have happened as well. Um, Ishan Sharma won the Champions trophy, right? So... Mm-hmm. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. I, I, someone, someone sent me a message saying that it was because he was a Muslim. But Mohammed Siraj is pumped nah. out of control, right? Mohammed mm-hmm. Ma- Siraj actually hasn't done that much in international cricket yet. When he's been great, yeah. he's been incredible. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a brilliant bowler. But I'm like, I feel there's been more hype for Muhammad Siraj already than Muhammad Shami. So I don't know. Maybe because he mm-hmm. looks like an old man and always has. Um, he used to have that really nerdy haircut, and now he's trying to pretend that he's not losing his hair. Um, I, I, mm. I, I don't know. But he is just a one of those unsexy cricketers until you look at his numbers and then you're like, these are as sexy as they get.
1: Yeah, you're quite right to call him unsexy. And I mean, I think that Muslim notion is complete garbage. Like Zahir Khan played for India for so long, right? He oh, was look, also I, Muslim, but oh, we anyway, did
2: see, don't forget, yeah. we did see when they lost the game, I think it was against Pakistan, wasn't it? At, Pakistan in yeah. the T20 yeah. uh, World Cup. He got months. some hate then. So I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I'm not discounting it as a possibility. Right, but what I'm saying is, well, mm-hmm. doesn't make sense if Siraj is getting, uh, you know, and Zahir Khan and, and everything else. That doesn't mean that the Muslim players aren't held to a different account, especially when they play um, Pakistan. Because I do think that is true at times. But I, it's weird watching Siraj be, you know, absolutely loved, right? And and then other player, and and, and uh, as you said, Zahir Khan and and many other players uh, mm-hmm. over their time. So I think it's more to do with Shami than anything else, but. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you because I would say coming into this tournament, I saw him, I think I had him down as the second, I think he might have been the second best strike bowler coming into this tournament in the history of ODI cricket. And even I had yeah. to re look at that stat four times, mate, because I was like, really? Shammy? He <laughs> just hasn't got yeah. the hype. And in test cricket, he did get the Absolutely. hype, I might, I might argue as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, he his strike rate is simply not talked about enough, right? Like, amongst bowlers, like you mentioned, with a minimum of 120 ODI wickets, Shami is the second best ever. Sandeep Lamishane is, like, 112 ODI wickets of 14, but we don't really need to count him, right? If you discount him, he is the second best well, ever, I think and that's if- phenomenal. Who's oh, only behind Stark, yeah. and he's the literal definition of what a strike bowler is, right?
2: Yeah, well, I think Lamichane <laughs> has, yeah, and. 110- 30 wickets or something. If you take it up to 175 or 150 or mm. whatever Sandeep's is, it is second. And Sandeep has been a fantastic bowler, but obviously did a lot of that against, you know, j- junk batting and, and you know, associate, uh, on bad pitches yeah. in associate cricket. Uh, I think most people were surprised to know that Shammy and Mitchell Stark have the stri- same strike rate, which is, I think, at the moment. So I think when you read that, that was right. I think he was second, and now it's first, equal first. Um, mm. And... That's a remarkable thing. And there's a bit of inflation with that, right? So people lose wickets quicker now than they ever have before. Uh, and so the majority, I think Glenn McGrath is the only guy of sort of a previous generation um although maybe you put Brett Lee in that that generation as well but they're the only two guys that took wickets at a really really fast rate you know Joel Garner didn't take wickets at a really fast rate and you know all, all these other guys didn't was a Akram was a Akram's numbers by today's mm. standards are not particularly good but was a Akram was an incredible striker for his era as as was Wacko Yunus right so it, it has changed a little bit but even within that rem- you know well I was going to say remember you were too young but you know, someone growing up when um, when was a macro I man, that's all people could talk about, right? Was that they yeah. were the best strike bowlers in the world at that time. And it was incredible and we couldn't believe it. And yet, Mohammed Shami is as good in his generation as those two were in their generations. And it's not mentioned. It's a That's a really interesting fact. Yeah, I mean, I did not know about any of this until, you know, you researched
1: it and then I read about it and we did our research for this podcast. It's really quite startling. I mean, second best in history and then, like you said, at par with Stark in World Cup cricket, and we all know what sort of animal. Which no, no, Stark no World, is Cup, World cricket, Cup cricket, he's better than Stark.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Not he's even a little bit. Stark now Five and, balls uh, better. So Stark is second best. Wow. I mean, that, that's the thing that is incredible, is that he's on the list of the, most over, uh, of the most wickets ever taken in the World Cup. I can't remember where he is at the moment, but uh, he's got 40. So he's probably in the top 12, let's say, of all time in wickets in the World yeah. Cup from 11 games. Hmm. And, he- yeah, I mean, 11 <coughs> games over
1: eight years, hmm. mind you, because there are three World Cups in this. He gets dropped in most of them. And even in this one, he's played, what, two games? And, uh, yeah, the fact that he has the best ever strike rate in World Cup cricket and has played 11 games across three uh, different events, I think that's that's quite starting. No,
2: no it is. And I, and I think that, I, I think he bowled 103 overs, and I think... Of the bowlers with over 35 wickets in World Cups, the next fewest overs was Brett Lee, who I think has less wickets than him as well, and he bowled about 130 overs. So mm-hmm. it's ridiculous he's on the list of the most wicket-takers. And there's a part of me that's like, well, he might be the most efficient wicket-taker that World Cup cricket has ever had, but it's hard to make him one of the greatest World Cup um, bowls of all time when he keeps getting dropped by his own team, right? And and also, he's only played 11 games, it's not a lot of mm-hmm. games. But the way he's bowling at the moment, he could take another, it could take a six for in the next game. I mean, if India
1: had Mohamed Shami back in 2011 or 2007 or one of those years, right? Maybe not 2003, because they did well with the ball in 2003, mm. barring the final. I think he would have been the talk of the town. He would have ruled the roost. And the fact that he's playing alongside Bumrah, and now, like you said, Siraj is talked up way more than Mohamed Shami. Maybe that hasn't helped him. But also, you know, in the 2019 World Cup in particular, I remember you mentioning that a lot of his wickets did not come at the top. Now, Shami is taking wickets at the top now. This is new, you know, this is not the norm. And I think this just makes him all the more deadlier.
2: Yeah, I think, if you go back to that 2019 World Cup, it is the weak link of the World Cups. uh, And it doesn't really look like that at first glance, but you scratch it a little bit and you see the death record and you see the teams he took the Mm -hmm. wickets against or he took wickets, but he also got absolutely hammered. um, And he took a lot of death wickets in that World Cup. 2015, his his uh, record is is pretty pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, in where he took his wickets, mm. certainly in this World Cup again, uh, where he's been taking his wickets, um, has been you know you, you want your you want your bowler, you want all as many of wickets as possible in the first 40 overs because they you know if you if you follow betting markets or predictive um, score markets, you will see what a wicket does to all those totals. Yeah, so you know um, it, the earlier the wicket the the more runs that come off the overall total. And that makes sense. Uh, getting wickets at the death is handy. Although in his case, it didn't really help with his death bowling. He still got hammered, but it is a handy thing to do. You would argue now, I, I would argue now that he was a good bowler in 2015. I would argue in 2019, he was still having trouble in certain aspects of his white ball bowling. If you think about, he wasn't a good IPL player mm-hmm. around that time. He was just becoming a good IPL yeah. player around that time. Now he is... And he's a much better test player now than he used to be. So he's a better IPL bowler and a better test bowler um, over the last few years. And I think this is the best we have seen him in a World Cup. And also for the kind of bowling, I, I know he's a good bowler in Asia, but for the for a seam bowler, these these are not conditions made for him. Um in fact, um, you know, that's one reason he was probably left out, right? And they had Ashwin ahead of him as well, is, you know. Uh, of the kind of wickets, and yet he's been absolutely dominant again, whereas in Australia and England, at least they were seen bowling pitches.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point because Shami in Asia is, is quite impressive, and, you know, we've talked about all the great stuff about him, but, you know, second best strike rate ever, and then also average under 25. If you and I are assembling the greatest ODI 11 of all time, we probably won't even consider him, and I don't even think that's a PR thing, but he does lacks something somewhere. And do you think the Achilles heel for Shami maybe in that conversation would be economy then? Or, you know, I can't really think of anything Well, at else. the moment,
2: his strike rate's the same as Mitchell Stark's. And Mitchell Stark's about 0.3 runs and over better. And they've played over a fairly similar era um, of cricket. Yeah. So you would take Stark over him still. Not not right now. Like, mm-hmm. I think Shami's certainly bowling better than Stark now. And who knows? Shami might go on to have another great couple of years and, and start, this might be the last time we see Stark in 50 over cricket. Um, yeah. But I think you take Stark over him um, at the moment. And so, and if you're looking at strike bowlers by era, you're probably also Shoah Bakhtar and Wasam Akram. Mm-hmm. Might be two other bowlers that you would take over him. And we've already talked about Garner and McGrath and Boomer. right? So yeah. there's three others. So he, I don't know where he fits in. It's, it's an interesting mm-hmm. one. I mean, Shane Bond is also a good shout. Shane Bond is probably, you have to take Shane Bond at his peak though, don't you? He doesn't have the longevity mm. of the other guys. Uh, but at his peak, he was yeah. incredible. But the point is, he might still struggle to get in the top 10 seamers of all time, right? In, in one day mm. cricket. However, um, he's not far away from that argument, right? He might be on the cusp of that rather than being an automatic choice uh, to be in the top 10 um, seamers of all time.
1: Yeah. I think maybe, you know, he's not as boisterous a personality as Siraj, who loves to speak to, you know, uh, TV guys and he loves the camera. I've always seen him really enjoy those moments. Even Hardik likes that. I know he's not a, you know, premier bowler, but... If you want to go back to that that
2: side of things, the other thing I would say is Mm. that he was shit in the IPL for a long time, right? Mm. And I think that, that, that affected Umesh Yadav, Ishan Sharma and him right? Because, you know, Bouvi was, was a goat um, there. Siraj had a couple of good seasons when he was young. Boomer obviously completely dominated that, uh, that tournament. So I do think that that affects things as well in Indian cricket. I, I was talking about this the other day with Temba Bavuma. So I went on a rant about how I think a lot of the treatment of Temba Bavuma is raci- racist, right? Which I do believe it is, hmm. but there's heaps of other t- bits of the treatment of Temba Bavuma is that people would just conflate different formats. So everyone's saying to me, oh, um uh, what, what's his name? What's the backup batter in their in their side at the moment?" The guy Reza. Yeah. Reza the guy oh, Reza has to play ahead of Bavuma Bo- and I'm like, "Well, Bavuma is a better list day cricketer than Reza. Bavuma's got an mm-hmm. average of 50 in ODI cricket. He's played 30 matches and Reza's played basically 30 matches with an average of 30, right? Why are you guys making this call?" And they're making that call because Temba's not great in test cricket, although neither would Reza be. Um, and because uh, Tempo was terrible in T20 cricket. Now, I'm not sure that Reza's that much better in T20 cricket either. He's, I think he's an average T20 player, maybe slightly better than Bavuma. But there is a conflation of different formats at all times. And it is hard to remember when you were impressed by this bowler and when you weren't impressed by this bowler. And all those sorts of things are so hard to keep in your head that it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, he's just a,
1: one of those bowlers who's easy to, you know, fall under the radar. But that's changed now. You cannot ignore Mohammed Shami. Even right now, after the Asia Cup, he played that series versus Australia, came in, took a fiver first thing. And you can make an argument that that wasn't Australia's first-string team. But look at the deliveries he's bought. Let's talk about that spell to Ben Stokes, right? He made him look like an absolute schoolboy. He beat his bat. Uh, Stokes tried to be a little agricultural with him. That didn't work. And then, ultimately, he made him look like, I don't know uh, an amateur mm-hmm. absolute amateur right when he cleaned him up when it comes to magic moments with the ball for India in World Cup cricket does this surpass Venkatesh Prasad versus Amir Sohail
2: yes although very similar shots aren't they hmm. very similar shots which actually tells you <laughs> both garbage <laughs> it tells you how bad <laughs> Amir Sohail's shot was that he played that <laughs> 25 years ago um, 28 years ago whatever it was um, hmm. I think the setup was better I mean my memory of the Army of Sohail, and you might remember it better, is wasn't he absolutely smashing the ball around? Whereas, yeah, he was. Stokes couldn't get the ball off the square, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, and also moving the ball in both directions, it was, oh, I'm going to call it a hostile spell, but I don't mean hostile in a um, short pitching but hostile as in how are you going to survive the, the next ball? And that wasn't how I remember it. Also, very different situation in the game, right? Pakistan where... Yeah, throwing it like 10 runs and over or something stupid chasing 200 down um and and, and so i think it was very different from that point of view i think though it, it's funny people are really upset that i said that this the ball kept a little bit low because they want it to be all mm. shami's magic that is part of shami's magic his ability to skid mm. the ball low is part of what he does and he was completely on in control of which direction the ball was moving, and that one ball keeps a little bit low. I don't know if that's why Stokes got bowled though, because Stokes was so far from that ball. He was also expecting the ball to go away, and it came in. Um, it was I. I just thought the the whole thing. I mean, you know, I've already. I, you know, I've done two videos, I think, already. I was captivated. <laughs> I said in our work group straight away that I thought it was one of the best spells of uh, World Cup bowling I've ever seen. Um, and the fact it was against Ben Stokes, who was brought in to stop those moments, I just think makes it even better. Mm. I think the Amir Soha one is remembered. But I think that's also the difference of the kind of bowlers that India have now. That How do you even remember all these different things that they do now? Whereas back in those days, castling a Pakistani who was, who was about to beat you in a game was such a big deal, right? You know, Pakistan mm. were the better team, right? Whereas now, yeah. if, if that happened in that, in, you know, and this one may not even get remembered as much just because England were absolute horseshit by the time um, Ben Stokes yeah. missed that ball. Uh, and it shows you that India are on a different level altogether. Yeah,
1: no, India definitely uh, the firm favorites to lift the trophy. But I think like, Look, Ben Stokes was the hero of the last World Cup. Ben Stokes was still very, very good batting with one knee in the ashes. So we did expect Ben Stokes to, you know, do well in this World Cup and the way he got him out. And plus, I remember you mentioning that there were, what, 12 dot balls in a row for England? And that's just simply not the way they play. And even if you go to Shami's previous over versus Stokes, it looked like he'd get him out. I mean, all of those deliveries that he bowled to Stokes, he was so visibly superior that I think he really like demonstrated his, I don't want to say superiority, uh, but class. Mm. Maybe uh, he was just that good, and I don't think I've ever been vowed by Shami like this
2: before. I mean, it, it's fair. Um, I I certainly, as I said at the start of the World Cup, when I saw him as one of the best strike bowlers of all time, I was a bit shocked. It's not how I mm. thought about him, so I can't slag off the you know the fans for thinking the same because I I was definitely in in mm-hmm. that. Uh, that area. Um, and watching him in this World Cup, he's just looked another level above again. I think Ahmed Siraj has been a fantastic bowler for India over the last couple of years. And I think they're just going to have to make the the change one way or another, right? That's how good Shami has been. Um, yeah. I wonder if at the moment, he's the hardest bowler to handle, right? Hmm. And that doesn't mean best because Boomerat is still more important and Kooldeep uh, might actually be their best strike strike bowler as well at the moment. Um, And, uh, you know, Trent Bolt's still in the tournament. Obviously, uh, Stark has struggled, but Hazelwood's had a good tournament. You know, there's some good bowlers. But but if I was a batter, I think the player I would least like to face at the moment would have to be um, Shammy, right? And I don't just mean that because of the the numbers. The, The numbers are the numbers, obviously. But watching him just with the eye test, it just does not look easy to stay in against him over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and Bumrah, I, Bumrah is the sort of person who can get me out because he'll work me out. I just feel Shami will get everyone out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, I've
1: always thought of Muhammad Shami as someone who's a really, really good asset for Indian cricket and you get good results on a consistent basis with him, right? But I've never thought of him as a world beater, like mm. someone that could completely wreck you as a batting order. And now, you know, that perception is changing. And particularly if I view these last few games that I've seen him bowl in, I've been really, really impressed. And it's weird how he's not at his peak. I mean, maybe he is in a way. uh, He's at the peak of his powers, but physically he's not at his peak. And he's older as well right now. And it's really interesting how he's managed to upskill as he's aged with, you know, uh, all this cricket going around because he also, at a point, was India's three-format bowler.
2: Yeah, uh, look, I... And, and that goes back to that conversation about Timber before and about conflating different formats mm. and, and everything else. And players, you know, look at Jimmy Anderson is a perfect example of someone who was a very, very, when he was young, was a terrible red ball bowler and a really good white ball bowler. He then goes on to be a really mm. decent white ball bowler, but obviously one of the greatest red ball bowlers of all time. Players develop in different yeah. ways and they work things out in different ways, right? At, at different times in their career. And there are going to be, you know, uh, Josh Hazelwood, I always thought Josh Hazelwood had it within him to be a good white ball bowler, but I never thought we'd be in a situation where we thought that Josh Hazelwood, the white ball bowler, is better than Josh Hazelwood, the red ball bowler, right? Um, Mm. Peter Siddle was another one who I never thought much Mm. of as a white ball bowler. His red ball career sort of finished and then started bowling incredibly well in in the back end of his career as a white ball bowler. So I do think players do develop differently. And also, you know, having talked to people like Harry Gurney and, um, uh, you know other players who maybe took white ball for granted at certain times and then late in their career suddenly start getting paid or start getting more attention or start enjoying it more or whatever that may be sometimes you just start to i'm I'm trying to remember there was someone i was talking to who was a professional cricketer for a long time who he said at the back end of his career he started making runs in white ball cricket and he was like If I practiced for this, I could do this for another three or four years. And suddenly, for the first time ever, he became a great white ball player. So I thought you were going to mention Benny Howell because you never miss an opportunity. uh, And he's quite old. I mean, Benny Howell is a perfect example of someone who was a terrible white ball cricketer, right? So, Mm. Benny Howell, when he first played for Hampshire, because his batting is not really white ball batting, right? You know, he's a good player. He made a double hundred in first class cricket as a batter. He can play, but he wasn't really a white ball player. And he was bowling. Dibbly dobbly straight medium pace, right? And and then he starts playing around with this and he ends up now, who thinks of Benny Howell as a red ball cricketer, right? I don't even know the last first class game Benny yeah. Howell played, right? He, and people like him. Who thinks of Benny Howell as a seam yeah, ball? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, you do see these things happen. Um, Joe Denley was another one who, I know he showed some white ball uh, you know, um, skill when he was early in his career, but then he goes on to be a red ball cricketer for a long time. Then suddenly he's a white ball all rounder. Like these things do happen, and I think that, as I said, because we conflate so many of the, it's impossible. It's not our fault. Like you know, it's very easy to tell the difference between someone being good at rugby league or rugby union because they're two different sports, right? Was we've got all the same players playing all three formats at the same time. Then we've got domestic stats and international stats. Like We just had a question on another podcast about Glenn Phillips where the guy's like, show me some numbers that prove that Glenn Phillips is good. Well, he's got an (laughs) average of 32 and a strike rate of 146 in international T20 cricket from 60 games. It's right there. It took me two seconds to Google it and find that number. But this (laughs) guy, he's seen him a struggle for New Zealand in a couple of World Cups, which I think is fair to say for Glenn Phillips. And he's seen him struggle in the IPL. So in his mind, Glenn Phillips is about players. Someone else has only seen Glenn Phillips absolutely tear up for a couple of bilaterals in New Zealand who thinks Glenn Phillips is better than Glenn Maxwell. It's so hard to keep all these things in our mind. And, and I think that 2019 World Cup is a perfect example. I covered that tournament. I don't know how many Indian games I was at, but I certainly had three or four Indian games. Uh, certainly three anyway. But I covered the whole tournament. And I didn't, re- I couldn't remember why Shami wasn't in the team the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to piece it together because cricket ratings not always the quality that it should be, and to try and work out. But essentially, eventually, I worked it out. It was that he wasn't. Uh, that Boomer was first. Cho- uh, Boomer Boovie was first choice. Boovie gets mm-hmm. injured. He comes in. He does really well. Then they bring Boovie back, and you know, and you, and then you look at the numbers. You go, okay, I can see why they did this. We might disagree, but we can see why. Mm-hmm. And I covered that tournament right? And I can't remember that. And it tells you just how much is going on in different ways that we do get confused with all these players. Yeah, I think back
1: in 2019, maybe, you know, Big Boovy was really, really good with the new ball, right? Maybe that was the deciding no, I think factor it was the death why ball. He was I, I think it was choice. his death
2: bowling that was the, the difference between ah. the two. Uh, but no, look, Bovey was fantastic. I'm never, there, there will be no anti um, boovy chat on this podcast um, ever. He's a fantastic mm-hmm. player um, who I think doesn't, also doesn't get the respect he deserves. Um, but yeah, I think for me, also, the way one day cricket is gone, and, and this goes back to the Shammy conversation, which I think is really, really interesting. The way that One Day Cricket has gone, I think if you had shami on his own playing in a team in the 90s or the you know 2000 to 2010 range, I think teams would be like, mm. he's taking a lot of wickets, but I'm not sure. You put him in Pakistan or Australian teams where they had strike bowlers all around him and you're just like, fine, fits straight in, he'll be fine, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think there are other teams where they would have been like, oh, he is going for runs and, you know, he's a little bit loose sometimes. He can't bolt to death, whatever. I think the way that one-day cricket is right now, Shammy is, it, you have to bowl the best teams out. You cannot restrict the best teams anymore. Those batters are simple. Or yeah. You can't rely on restricting the best teams, right? You have to bowl them out. So with that, I think he's even more important, whereas boovy in his era up until 2019 when it starts to change was, I find... Mm-hmm. Uh, limited overs bowler and now you look at one day cricket if Bouvier was fit now he it just wouldn't work because he he might go at five runs and over but he wouldn't give you many wickets and so they would just score off the lesser bowlers yeah yeah I think that's a
1: pretty good rationale and uh, I suppose if anyone who's been watching this podcast or has been watching Mohammed Shami bowl recently if they underrated him prior they probably don't anymore because he's just been oh. that good and before we end this yeah he was saying No, I was going to say, they're probably overrating now. That's how it works, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll we'll see how things turn out. But um, I don't know. I think still, uh, Siraj has more hype than Shami. I just feel that. Even Cheyenne loves Siraj. I think he wasn't too keen on... Our colleague, Cheyenne, wasn't too keen on removing Siraj from the team, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, he's wrong. But yes, you're right. Yeah.
1: You're right and he's wrong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, just to finish off this podcast I'm going to put you on the spot, Jared Amongst mm-hmm. Indian bowlers with a minimum of 65 ODI wickets Only two average less than 25 One is Jaspeed Bumrah And the other is Mohammed Shami So would you say Would you go out on a limb And say that Mohammed Shami is the second best
2: Indian seamer of all time? It's interesting because I would have to factor in Kapil Dev's economy Kap- what hmm. What's Kapil Dev's average? Have you got those in front of you? I don't have Kapil's think average, average but high, um, yeah, I think his average is high. Kapil Dev to right? me is like Stuart Broad; he's like a numbers cricketer, right? Uh, yeah, but what I mean is that my memory of Kapil Dev was that I okay, so his average is 27.5 27. Yeah, but look at his economy, yeah. right? And his so, strike
1: rate is also not nice. Economy is good. Uh,
2: economy is really good. No, his strike rate wasn't good, but, but people didn't lose wickets back then. Joel Garner's strike rate's not particularly good. Wasn't Mac- as I said, wasn't Matt Graham's mm. strike rate for modern cricket would look average at best now. Mm. So it has moved on a long way. I still think Kapil Dev was a very, very um, a important cricketer. The way he played, uh, I've, I've just just as a bowler, right? Um, mm. And I, I think uh, for me. I would find I would have to go through the numbers really, really deeply. But they're also both bowlers of the era. If Kapil Dev played now, he'd take a lot more wickets, right? And maybe, and it obviously yeah. would have a higher economy. Right. And the the only other one I would have in there, who I thought was a fantastic bowler, is Javagal Srinath, right? Hmm. Who bowled on a lot of very flat Indian ODI wickets. Um, no one really ever hit him. Um, you know, incredible economy rate, decent average as well. But I think I I think if I was ranking them, and this is without doing a deep dive into all four of them, but Boomer is clearly S tier for me. Kapil Dev yeah. um, and, and Shami are A tier. And I probably have uh, Srinath in A tier, but just at the bottom of the A tier uh, rather than at the top with those other two. Um, and you know, I'd have to have a look at Zahir Khan and, and some of the other guys that are bowled mm. for them as well. But um, that's probably how I would end up with that. Um, as I said, I I think you could make an argument for, um, for Shammy to be a top 10 bowler of all time, but um, I, I'm not sure he's probably more in that 10 to 20 range. If we're being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- the thing is, I would love to do this sort of stuff. We're not quite ready yet, but what I would love to know is, so he goes at what two runs and over more than capital death. Right. Yeah. But in his era, is Kapil Dev like 0.2 runs and over better than the other bowlers of his era? And in his era, do you know what? That's the sort of thing that I want to be able to get to. The same with the strike bowling as well. So we know mm. that if if we if we run those numbers properly, Glenn McGrath's probably going to be the best ODI bowler of all time and Joel Garner won't be far away. And Boomer might be right up there with those two guys as well. But we don't really have the full answer to that. And even if we get the full answer... To those numbers, what percentage of the time did Garner bowl at the death? How what percentage of wickets did Garner get at the death? Right. Um, So it's really, really tricky to rate those players. But look, he's in the conversation to be the top two seamers in ODI cricket that India has ever had, Um, and he's also Mm -hmm. uh, probably, um, you know, I can't see him as being worse than let's say fourth, right? And he's probably. I mean, let's think about it, right. If you're
1: looking at ODI cricket in particular, Ajit Agakar is in that conversation as well. He's got, what, 288 ODI wickets for India. You've got Zahir, Javakal Srinath, Kapil Dev, Bumrah, Shami. It's tough. And also the point that you mentioned that Kapil averaged, oh, sorry, um, his economy was three and a half, Srinath was four and a half, and Shami is five and a half, all different eras. So maybe that's the same economy for each of those eras.
2: Exactly. I don't think it is. I think three and a half is still ridiculous. Um, hmm. but I think Ghana was down at like three or something. So, so, a couple of still a way off, um, some of the other, um, bowlers of his era, if, if I'm remembering all my numbers correctly. Um, so hmm. no, look, I, I think, I think that's a very fair, um, uh, you know, comment when, when you're having a look at all those players and, and how you go. So what's well, a Gaka? He's about average of 28, but a very high economy for his era. He was over fives. Mm -hmm. Um, Dadajee Khan averaged 30. So he didn't take as many wickets, but his economy rate back under five, you know. So look, and Prasad, who we've talked about as well, you know, there was, Mm. I I think that there is a thought that India never had fast bowlers before this generation. It's not true. What they never had was a collection of fast bowlers. And I think this is the big difference and will be the difference for Shammy's legacy. We can talk about how fantastic he is as a one day bowler and we're both right. But uh, he's got a better bowler in his team, right? At the same time. Yeah. And that complicates everything. You know, that's, that's almost, that's the Jason Gillespie rule, right? Jason mm-hmm. Gillespie in another era is, Jason Gillespie a better bowler than Merv Hughes and then Craig McDermott and, uh, you know, heaps of other Australian bowlers, right? But he was the second best yeah. bowler, or well, third best bowler in his team, second best team bowler in his team, right? And that's how he kind of is remembered and sometimes that that is ultimately what happens and i do think if you look at if you look at shami you've got Boomrah, you've got bolt and you've got um uh, what's the other guy's name stark right instantly stark. he's moved back in that order a little bit from all those other guys mm. and that's sadly just what happens but i don't think that takes away from the fact that he has become no one has ever struck quicker than him in ODI cricket. Certainly no one's even come close to him in the World Cup and he deserves that credit and he's been as you said it's three World Cups over 8 years in three different continents all that sort of stuff and he's come every time and been absolutely extraordinary and he's done that while he's been dropped. Yeah, and that is exactly why we chose to record a
1: podcast on Mohammad Shami. So to all the viewers and listeners, let us know, you know, who you think is India's second best ODI bowler of all time and where you would rank Muhammad Shami in the greatest ODI bowlers of all time. We'd love to hear that. But that's all for today. Uh, Thank you to everyone and Jared. And we'll catch you again with episode 25 of Footmarks next week. That's all for now. Goodbye.
2: Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Bharat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston each episode is produced by ishit kuberka at sound potion studio the team from 42 help us out with the video side orijoti sena payu and Meera akam both producing podcasts while makunda Bandredi is the head of our youtube content tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me well try using memento fm an ai-based service of cuts and dices so all you have to do is hit post try memento fm today